Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be talking this morning about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, I grew up in a traditional first Catholic and then Episcopal church, which if you're not familiar with the Episcopal church, it is all the formality of the Catholic church, but half the guilt. Um, When God saved me in college, I wanted to find something as far away as possible from the formality and the ceremony and the religiosity of my church experience. Fortunately, I found charismatics. Now, these guys were crazy and radical. They raised their hands. They shouted during worship. They spoke in tongues. They, they prayed for healing. They prayed for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I looked at all that, and I just said, I'm in. Now, I had no idea what the church believed, but I was all in. And I certainly didn't know much about theology or doctrine or statements of faith. You know, there was and there still is a tendency to divide sound doctrine and the work of the Holy Spirit, to divide biblical knowledge and spiritual encounters with God. You know, many Christians think that you can have one or the other. And as I became more and more familiar with charismatics and their doctrine, I would look down on the theological eggheads who had a lot of knowledge, but they didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I thought, well, you theologians might know a lot, but we have the power. My favorite verse for this, which of course I took out of context, was 1 Corinthians 4.20, which says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. Take that. But listen, we don't have to pit the word of God against the spirit of God. We don't have to pick knowledge or power. It's a false dichotomy where the choices are presented as mutually exclusive, like you can't have them both. For instance, you can eat something healthy or you can eat something delicious. Wrong. You can have bacon, which is both healthy and delicious. So we can actually have both. We can have sound doctrine, right, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, my Christian history kind of parallels the history of sovereign grace. During the 1970s, there was an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his gifts in our country. It was sometimes called the Jesus Movement, but it was a revival. And many people got saved, especially among the hippies. They were often called the Jesus Freaks. That's when CJ, the founder of Sovereign Grace, was saved by God. And he started a church which eventually became Sovereign Grace Churches. But in the beginning, Sovereign Grace was much more charismatic, more focused on the Spirit, and less focused on doctrine. When I came to Covenant Fellowship in 1991, we were focusing more and more on doctrine and theology, specifically Reformed theology, and JT will cover some of that next week. So over the decades, Sovereign Grace has grown in our understanding and commitment to sound doctrine and theology, but 
we've also maintained our love for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. To this day, churches divide over doctrine and the Spirit. They, they still believe that you can either have sound teaching or certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. But Sovereign Grace has brought these together because the Bible brings them together. And so does our statement of faith. So let's, let's look at what the statement of faith says about the person and the work and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I break it down into three main headings. Number one, the Spirit's identity. And this is from page 35 of the Statement of Faith. It says, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. That just means he's sent by both the Father and the Son. He is equal in deity, attributes, and nature with the Father and the Son, and with them is to be worshiped and glorified. Now, we see an emphasis on the Spirit throughout our Bibles. In Acts chapter 1, uh, we see immediately a reference to the Trinity. So look at Acts 1, verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus, that's God the Son, began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, that's God the Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's God the Father. See, the Holy Spirit is fully God and is to be worshiped as God. The Bible does not teach that there are three different gods, but one God in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And throughout the Bible, the Spirit is declared to be God. We see this in Acts 5, 2 Corinthians 3, Acts 7, Hebrews 3. And the Holy Spirit has the attributes that God alone has, like eternality, he's eternal, omnipotence, He's all-powerful, omnipresence. He's everywhere equally present. Omniscience, he is all-knowing. He also has the attributes of a person. He teaches, he bears witness, he leads, he guides, he intercedes, he helps, he comforts, he's grieved. So the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. Heading number two, the Spirit's productivity. Now, it, it is truly amazing the work that the Spirit gets done. As I was reading through the statement of faith, it was blowing my mind to consider all that the Spirit has accomplished and continues to accomplish. And then I decided to read through every reference to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. There are about 400 of them, and it it blew my mind even more to see what the Holy Spirit accomplished. He is everywhere, and he does everything. I mean, you may feel like you're really busy and you have a lot to do. Wait till you hear what the Spirit of God has done and what he continues to do. And it's not just the volume of what he does, it's the importance. No one has done anything 
close to the importance of what the Holy Spirit has done. In our statement of faith on page 35, it says, the Spirit manifests God's active presence in the world, giving life in God's creation and new creation, existing forever with the Father and the Son. The Spirit is, listen to this, the Spirit is the agent of all blessing to God's creatures and makes possible communion with him. The statement of faith then goes on to talk about the incredible work of the Spirit in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'll, I'll summarize. So the Holy Spirit, with the Father and the Son, created the entire world in a couple days. Everything was created by and through the Holy Spirit. Every tree, every mountain, every river, every beach, every ocean, everything we love about this world, he created. He created all the food that we love. He created all the animals in their amazing diversity. He created us men and women, and gave us life. Every man and woman alive today is here because of the creative work of the Spirit. He is the reason we are here. And he also created the sun and the stars and the entire universe, and that's just the first page of the Bible. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is constantly present with his people. He is God's presence among his people, constantly guiding and leading and protecting and providing for and delivering and speaking to them. He inspired men to actually write the Old Testament scripture. And then in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit continues to do some massively important things, like bringing about the conception of Jesus Christ in the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit was responsible for forming Christ and bringing about his birth for bringing about the Savior of the world. That's pretty important, right? Without the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would have never been born. He then protected Jesus from Satan and his murderous plots, and then the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus with power to fulfill his earthly ministry. This is stunning. Listen, without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have had the strength to do what he did, including dying on the cross. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit help you or carry you through a difficult challenge? This is what the Spirit did for Jesus. He helped to carry him. It reminded me, I don't know if, if you remember that scene in The Passion of the Christ where, where Jesus is carrying his cross and he's so weak and beaten and bloodied that he just collapses under the weight of the cross. He can't make it to Calvary. 
And so they call this guy, Simon of Cyrene. The Romans grab him, and they make him carry the cross for Jesus or help Jesus carry the cross. He doesn't want to do it. He wants nothing to do with it. But he has no choice, and so he gets in, and, and he's next to Jesus. Is here, and he's next to him, and he looks with disgust on Jesus. He doesn't want to be near, but as they walk, his heart begins to grow soft, and he sees the love of the Savior. And at one point when Jesus' stomach, he reaches his arm around and grabs Christ and helps him up the hill of Calvary. That is what the Holy Spirit did for Christ. When Jesus was in his darkest moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Spirit was there helping, helping him get through that. When he was receiving that beating, when he walked that road to Calvary, the Spirit was the one that helped Jesus stretch out his hands so they could be pierced for our sins. You know, I, I never thought about that before. I had never given thanks to the Spirit for, for helping Jesus and seeing my salvation through to him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping the Savior. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit also raised Jesus from the dead. That's kind of important. Without the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us our faith would be futile and we'd still be dead in our sins. So listen, the Holy Spirit gets things done. The Holy Spirit is productive. Now, I was trying to think of some of the things that I've accomplished in my life or things that I do, things that I get done, and it's just... My list really wasn't very impressive. I don't really get important things done. I just, I just couldn't come up with that. I thought, well, I brush my teeth and floss. I used to change the oil in my car. I recycle. I filled out my March Madness bracket. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't done very many important things. Think about what the Holy Spirit has done. And, and this is only a fraction of it. After Jesus ascended, the Spirit of God came down at Pentecost and filled the first disciples. And that brings us to our third heading, which I call the Spirit's power. So let's jump back into the book of Acts. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And it says this, while staying with them, so this is Jesus being with the disciples, while staying with them, the disciples, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is, this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. And the promise of the Father that's mentioned here is the new and greater empowering of the Holy Spirit that the disciples were to wait for. This is in Luke chapter 24. So they're to wait for this new power of the Spirit is coming. And that brings us to, to verse 8. Acts 1-8 is, is the key verse in Acts. And it's answering the question, how are we going to take the gospel forward? This is scary. How can we do this? Is Jesus, are you going to kind of take over and take the political power? Are we going to be able to enforce the gospel from the top down? And Jesus says, no. That's not how we're going to accomplish this 
mission. It will, in fact, be through the power of the Holy Spirit giving us boldness. Look at Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And then Jesus ascends after this, and then Pentecost comes. It's kind of like Thanksgiving for the grain harvest. And look at what it says in chapter two. This is, this is such a pivotal, significant moment in history as Jesus ascends and he sends the Spirit. This is key. In chapter two, verse one, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, what is this all about? Well, I think it's a reference to the tabernacle. Remember in the Old Testament, the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites around, this huge pillar of fire. When it would, it would rest over the tabernacle, when it would stop, it would be right over the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. And that huge pillar of fire was the Holy Spirit, and it represented the presence of God. That was God's presence. Now, here at Pentecost, little pillars of fire are coming and resting on each of the disciples, which means that God's very presence, you have to understand how important this is, God's very presence is not in a tabernacle, it's not in a temple, it's now coming to rest upon his people. They're resting over the head of the disciples. And then in verse four, it says this, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then in verse 17, let's keep going. So then Peter explains what's happening. And he quotes Joel chapter two. In verse 17 he says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, when we repent and surrender our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. He fills us. Page 43 of the Statement of Faith, it says, when Christ ascended, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power among his people. The Spirit transforms hearts by the miracle of regeneration and indwells, that means he lives in, all believers in abundant new covenant measure. The Spirit also desires to fill God's people continually with increased power for Christian life and witness. To be filled with the Spirit is to be more fully under his influence, more aware of his presence, and more effective in his service. All Christians, therefore, are you a Christian today? All Christians, this is speaking to you. All Christians must continually seek to be filled with the Spirit. Are you continually seeking 
this is what we're all supposed to do, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we do that? Well, it says, by living and praying in such a way that invites the Spirit's work among us, actively longing for God to accomplish his gracious purposes in and through us. Now, it is utterly impossible to try to cover all the things that the Holy Spirit does. But in terms of our salvation, the Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin. This is what he did for us. He convicted us of our sin. He showed us our desperate need for forgiveness. And then he regenerated us. Do you know what that means? It it means he takes our dead heart and he makes it come alive. He saves us. And then he unites us to Christ. He literally brings us into his family through adoption. And then the Spirit takes up his home inside of us. That's amazing. Before we become Christians, we're ruled by our flesh, by our sinful nature. And there's no conflict in us. The flesh is in charge. And we basically do what the flesh wants. But when we're saved, the Holy Spirit moves in and takes over. The problem is that the flesh doesn't want the Holy Spirit to take over. So there's a lot of conflict, a lot of struggle and fighting. And this is where we desperately need the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us power to overcome our flesh. Now, in the beginning of Acts, the disciples were super scared. They were really shaky at this point. They are afraid, for good reason, that they're going to be killed by the authorities, just like Jesus was. So they're kind of huddled up behind these locked doors, and they, they opt out of the call to be witnesses to the world. But when the Spirit comes upon them, everything changes. Everything changes. He gives them a boldness to overcome their fears and to share the gospel with the world, even though it's really dangerous and it will cost most of them their lives. This is one of the key themes in Acts. The Spirit fills them and gives them boldness to share the gospel. The Spirit also If you read in Acts, you'll see this very clearly. The Spirit also produces in them a deeper fellowship with one another. This is another key theme in Acts. When they are filled with the Spirit, they join their lives together. They they break bread. They pray together. They devote themselves to the preaching of the Word. And the Spirit brings this amazing unity and love and generosity into their lives. And the Spirit does the same thing in our lives. The Spirit also empowers us to overcome sin. He gives us power to live holy and godly lives. Apart from the Spirit, we can't get out of our sin. We we can't break the chains of sin in our own lives. Let me give you an example. I was at Gaudenzio, which is this recovery house. We do a little chapel service there, almost like a little Sunday afternoon service. And I was talking to one of the guys, and he wasn't really sure if he should go in. He, he said, well, I don't really believe that. And he, he had all these kind of beliefs, like Buddhism was there, and there was just some, like, New Age, I don't know, just kind of all. So I was kind of debating him and trying to commit, talking to him, and I would bring up this point, and he would bring up, and, it, and, and we kind of went on for five minutes. He's like, well, I don't really know, and, and I was talking about that. And so finally, I just said this, well, let me ask you a question. I said, how many rehabs have you been in? 
And he goes, I don't know, maybe like eight or something. I said, how long have you been, how long have you been using? He said, I don't know, maybe like, like 12 years. And I said, do you know what the problem is? You lack power. I said, you don't have power to change because power always follows truth. Because if what you believe isn't true, you won't have power to change. In John 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so he looked at me and said, all right, I'll come in and hear what you have to say. <laughs> See, the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical to change. He's critical to our sanctification and our holiness. He convicts us when we sin. He gives us a desire to live for God, and then he gives us the power to live that life. There are so many things that the Holy Spirit does for us. He not only inspired the New Testament, he opens our minds so that we can understand the scriptures when we read them. He is our great comforter. And church, I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit is your great comforter. He's the one that brings comfort to you. It's so easy for us to look elsewhere for comfort. Church, don't do it. Don't look for comfort elsewhere. Go to the Holy Spirit. He is the great comforter. He's our great counselor who speaks to us and guides us. He's our advocate, which means he's our defender. He's our deposit, which means he is guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. That's amazing. He is our great teacher. He is our great intercessor, which means he's praying for us, especially when we don't know what to pray for. How encouraging is that? He's called the spirit of truth because he guides us into truth. He's called the spirit of life because he produces life in us. He's called the witness because he assures us that we are children of God. And as we read in the statement of faith, he is the agent of blessing in all our lives. Think about that. Every blessing that has come to you has come through the spirit. You can trace all of God's blessings to you back to the kindness and love of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have just one more thing to mention here under this part. The Holy Spirit loves to give us a deeper knowledge of Christ. One of his main jobs is to show us the beauty and glory and the love of Jesus to show us the gospel and to make Christ glorious in our eyes. Now, the Holy Spirit not only fills us doing millions of wonderful things for us, but he also does these millions of things, not just for us, but for millions and probably billions of people around the world simultaneously. Just think about that for a second. But he also does more. He also gives us gifts. Page 44 of the Statement of Faith says, the Spirit sovereignly bestows gifts on every believer. 
Spiritual gifts are those abilities and expressions of God's power given by his grace for the glory of Christ and the building up of the church. God cares deeply for his church, which is why he gives spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. And there's different gifts listed in the Bible. In Romans 12, we see that the Spirit gives the gift of serving, teaching, hospitality, mercy, leadership, administration, and giving. And the Spirit has given these in abundance to our church. We see these gifts in operation. We just had a bridge retreat last night. We had a dinner and a meeting there, and all of these gifts were in operation throughout the people that were serving there. And he gives them so that the church might be built up. There are also gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, like speaking in tongues, prophecy, and healing. Those gifts are biblical. That's why you see us practicing these gifts. And they're designed by God to build up the church. When you hear a prophetic word that speaks directly to your situation, it, it brings comfort. And it can build your faith. It builds up the church. Now, as I mentioned earlier, some people and churches are afraid of these gifts, and, and, and for good reason. There are churches and pastors who have abused these gifts and have used them to draw attention to themselves. Some have even placed spiritual gifts above the word of God. First Corinthians is written largely to deal with these problems. So there is a danger, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue or practice the gifts. There's a danger when you eat. You could eat bad things, or you could eat too much, or you could choke, but you still eat. The filling and gifts of the Spirit are clearly biblical and essential for our lives and for the life of the church. This is why we are continuationists, which means that we believe that the gifts of the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit, continue today. It's more common, it was probably more commonly referred to as charismatic, so that might be a term that you're more familiar with. Now, many churches that believe in Reformed doctrine, like us, do not believe in the full range of spiritual gifts. They are cessationists. They believe that some of the spiritual gifts have ceased, so they stopped existing after the apostles died off. This is why doctrine matters. What you believe determines how you live. If God has gifts for you and you don't believe they exist, it will diminish your power and effectiveness. How we view the Holy Spirit matters. If we're scared of him, we won't pursue him and desire to be filled by him. Now, we have friends in the broader Christian world who are cessationists. We respect them greatly. But we do think they're missing something important. Church, we want all that God has for us. We want all that he has for us. We want his power and his presence. And we want that to be pronounced in our lives. Now, let me just close with a couple points of application. Number one, pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We must continually seek to be filled with the Spirit. We're kind of like a balloon with a slow leak. It needs to be continually filled. 
And listen, it's not that hard. It's not complicated. Take time alone with God and just pray and ask God to fill you with his spirit. In Luke 11, Jesus tells us that the Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. But you might say, well, I don't feel that spiritual, though. I I don't really sense the Holy Spirit. I don't feel things. I'm not that emotional. Being filled with the Spirit is not about being emotional or even feeling certain things. When you pray, ask God to fill you and trust that he is. Some of you may sense God's presence. You may feel so. You may not. Trust that God is filling you with his spirit. Number two, pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is something I think we could all grow in. You know, most of my prayers are an attempt to get God to follow me. A better idea is for me to follow God. And he wants us to follow him. He wants to lead us. I think as a church, we need to pray and ask for God's guidance. Ask the Spirit what we should do in certain situations. Now, most of the answers are found in the Bible, but there are also times that God will speak to you and guide you. For instance, the Spirit might prompt you to reach out to someone and invite them to our Easter services or our bridge course. I think we could all grow in asking the Spirit to guide us and speak to us, and and when we hear his promptings, to follow them. Number three, last one, pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit's power to overcome our struggle with sin. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or of the flesh. The power of the Spirit is the key to living godly lives that glorify the Lord. We don't just believe something different from the world, no. We live differently. We have the power to be different people. We have power to love and to forgive and to be unified and to serve and to give. See, when we are filled with the Spirit of the Lord, we will be focused on Jesus. And that will produce peace and joy in the midst of all the chaos. If you're filled with the Spirit of the world, you'll be focused on what others are doing wrong, and who you should oppose, which will produce division and judgments and fear. That's not the spirit that we want. So church, let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us and to give us power to live for God. Amen.